0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If you have your Bibles or your apps, would you open them two places? Open in the Second Chronicles chapter 29. Bookmark that. Bookmark Second Chronicles 29, uh, either on your apps or in your Bibles. And then Second Kings 18 is where we're going to start. Second Kings chapter 18, as we continue our series on prophets and kings. Perspectives on, the, on World Christian Movement is an excellent course. I have actually taken it. I've actually taught it. Uh, we fly in speakers literally from around the nation every Sunday night for about 13 weeks, and it will be time well spent. I can guarantee you that you'll enjoy and be challenged and expanded. Uh, the details are on the table in the hallway. Men, Our men's conference is always the last weekend in January. This year we have the privilege of having with us uh, um, Patrick Marley. Patrick Marley is a guy who wrote Man in the Mirror. So many of you guys have read that, we're fortunate to get him here, and you've heard a lot about Tim Kimmel out there uh, and the opportunity to do that. If you plan on participating in baby dedication, the back end of Thanksgiving weekend, there is a mandatory meeting, we're changing the way we do things on that, and the details are on the sheet that you have in front of you, and uh, many other opportunities are there. Add Kay, K. spoke to your prayer list, Kay is one of our dear ladies for many years, her son Charles David, age 42, went to be with the Lord this weekend after fighting brain cancer. Football. Um, I'm conflicted. We actually escaped with a victory, got to go to the game, but uh, I'm conflicted. We go to my uh, daughter's house after and son-in-law and our three-year-old grandson, uh, soon to be four, next month looks at and He said, Papa, though, I don't love you anymore. (laughs) I said, Grayson, what happened? He said, your mean Tigers beat my Aggies, so I don't love you anymore. So I'm conflicted, actually. I'll cheer for them the rest of the season to get my grandson to love me. (laughs) More space is devoted to Hezekiah and the scriptures than any other king, with the exceptions of David and Solomon. Out of all the kings, more space is devoted to Hezekiah than any other king except David and Solomon. By God's grace, Hezekiah did not follow his father's footsteps, but sought to undo the evil his father had done. The question is, why is Hezekiah, why did, in this reminder to the nation of Israel, why did God in his sovereignty, as he gave us his inspired text, why did he devote so much time and so many pages to Hezekiah? That's the question before us today, and I hope by looking at that, we'll be able to understand God's plan for the nation of Israel and perhaps some things in our lives as well. Father, as we look at the Word, we pray that you would teach us about what happened during the time of Hezekiah, so that we as, a, we as a body, we as individuals, and we as a nation might take heed in Christ's name. Amen. Prophets and Kings is our series. Oh, I forgot this. Uh, let me back up before I start. Uh, you heard last week we prayed over some folks headed to Rwanda, some of our staff members next week. And then I preach next Sunday and then head over to uh, Ukraine following that. So preach next Sunday, get on a plane and go and rendezvous and meet them in Kiev. Twenty years ago, uh, what happened, a number of folks have asked about this relationship, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about one of our desires. Uh, Twenty years ago, the Iron Curt- when we started this relationship, 1989, the Iron Curtain fell. In '89, when the Iron Curtain fell, we had a gentleman in our church, Craig Ludrick, and Craig was a Russian linguist at Fort Hood. He had a passion for the former Soviet Union, the USSR. And so he came to us as a leadership team and said, there's an organization out of Wheaton, Illinois, Slavic Gospel Association. They are hooking up churches in America with churches in the former Soviet Union. So would you guys prayerfully consider being one of those churches? And we thought, you know, what's required? And he said, well, you send about $2,000 worth of uh, books for the pastor's library. You buy a TV and a VCR, and it's all shipped to them through Slavic Gospel. And we thought, that's a great deal. And so we would like to invest in these people. I mean, these are the people that wanted to nuke us and kill us, and we didn't love them. They were commies, and, but we didn't want anything to do with them. And so we thought, well, this is a great way to get those pagans to repent and, you know, do whatever. I mean, that was some of our thinking back then, wasn't it? I mean, you know how that was. And so we did. We signed up, and we uh, became a sister church. We could have become a sister church with a church in, in Belarus, in Russia, in Bulgaria, Romania, Albania, any of the former Soviet countries. And by God's sovereignty, we end up with a church in belia Ukraine. Beliaserkov, that's the two first words up there, literally means white church. Our church is named House of Prayer, our sister church is. So in 1989, the wall comes down, 1991, we adopt the sister church. And really, after we sent them all that stuff, this is before email and, you know, the availability of phone calling like we can do now, we thought literally we'd become pen pals, that was it. We thought we'd exchange letters and have this little relationship, well... They they took this way more, honestly, they took it way more seriously than we did at that time. They decided, they sent us a letter back, and we've got to translate the whole thing, and, and they say, we really want to meet the leadership or some leaders from our sister church who sent us all this stuff and have blessed us with it. And we met some of the most godly people we've ever met in our lives. It was totally the opposite of what I had mentioned before. These were people that we fell in love with from day one. And a relationship began twenty years ago. I think this is my thirteenth trip to Ukraine. We've developed that ministry into a pastors conference ministry as well as a leadership ministry with the leaders of the church and, and as we go there, by God's grace, we've literally impacted thousands of pastors through the Ukraine. So when you sign up to sponsor a pastor at these conference, thousands of pastors throughout the Ukraine have come, heard the God's word God's word, been trained, and now the gospel goes forth through a nation because of your generosity over the years. Twenty years. And so about a month ago, Danny Cunningham, our executive pastor, came to me and said they they really would like to do a joint celebration. They've since planted seven churches, grown from a handful of believers, maybe 200 believers to uh, 1,500-plus believers, and they want to do a big celebration. They want our sister church, TBC, to be represented there, and they would like you to go. And I thought, wow, you know, hadn't planned this. We're a month out, and uh, so we clear out the schedule And by God's grace and through his mercy, we head out next week to celebrate. So next Sunday, I'm sorry, two Sundays from today, there will be a joint service of all these seven churches, and we will have all these believers gathered together to honor God and celebrate what he's done through us. And so what a blessing to be a part of that. We're going to try and Skype into you guys if the time works and uh, the technology works. We're not sure. But here's what we like to do. We go there and they give us gifts. Every day the most humbling thing, the average salary in Ukraine is still five, six, seven hundred dollars a month. Very little. And when we get there, they give us gifts. How do you like to be called up front of a bunch of folks making six, seven hundred bucks a month and they give you a gift? I mean it's one of the most humbling things we go through. And so we were brainstorming this past week. What can we do for our sister church? We carry one piece of luggage, we can't bring a bunch of stuff. So we begin to pray and ask God, or brainstorm, actually, what would God have us do in this? So we decided 20 years of ministry together, why don't we see if we can bring them $20,000 from TBC? So that's our challenge. Our challenge is we'd like this Sunday and next Sunday, above your normal tithes and offerings, to make out a check to TBC, put Ukraine down in the memo, and uh, we'd like to bring our sister church and all those churches, $20,000, split it up between them and let them celebrate God's goodness through us. So if you feel moved to do that, there's no pressure, obviously. We don't do that at TBC, but if you feel moved to do that, if you you do that, we'll make sure that gets to them, and we celebrate God's goodness. Can't Skype in, we'll get video, and in three weeks we'll show you their celebration. Amen? Amen. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. It came about in the third year of Hoshea the son of Elah, king of Israel. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old and became king and reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord. If you write writing your Bibles, underline he did right. Verse 5, he trusted the Lord God of Israel. He trusted, underline that. He clung to the Lord, verse 6. And then in verse 7, wherever he went, he prospered. When I was a kid growing up in New Orleans, we went to this little uh, church on, in one of the suburbs, about 150 folks on a Sunday. And it was a great place to grow up and a great place to be a part of. And one of the things we did every year is we scheduled revival. And you grow up in a church like that? Scheduled revival. We wait we scheduled revival every year. In fact, the, the way it worked is we'd hire a guest preacher. He would deliver hellfire and brimstone messages. To me, as a little kid, it seemed like he was really mad the whole time he was there. In fact, if he looked at you, you squirmed in that pew that you were sitting in. To me, he seemed like a much older man. Looking back now, I guess he was probably about 40 years old. We would hire a guest musician. He would have lots of hair, a deep voice, and tell really bad jokes. We prayed every single night that someone would walk the aisle at the invitation at the end, so we wouldn't have to sing ten stanzas of "Just as I Am." Any of you grew up in that church too? Yeah, there we are, all of us. In fact, when I didn't know they were starting with that song, when they finished "Just as I Am," I get ready to get up and leave because we never did it at the start of a service. That was always the end of a service. It, that was the first song we sang when we came in this morning. And so it, we, we would begin to sing Just as I Am. It would be an invitation and nobody could leave until somebody responded to the invitation. And for kids, this was torture. I mean, we're growing up in Louisiana. The kitchen and dining or fellowship hall was right next to the auditorium in in, in south Louisiana. I mean, you didn't just have cookies and a couple of those sandwiches. They had etouffee, jambalaya, and muffaladas and everything waiting for you. So we were grateful when Miss Kathy, who was in her 30s and a a chubby lady, when about the ninth stanza of Just As I Am, when her stomach would smell the aroma, I think when her stomach began to roll and smell the aroma, she would get up and the spirit would move her down the aisle, and We were grateful. (laughs) We were grateful because we knew finally somebody responded, and now we can all go. And we can indulge in the goodies that the ladies had brought to us. Planned revival. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Hey, we're going to see Hezekiah because of all this space devoted to him. One of the things to remember is the nation of is reading this years later when they're in exile, and it's a reminder to them of the work that God has done. I mean, the kings that we've looked at so far have been all, been mostly, or the majority of them, all but two of them, have been bad, wicked kings. And then we come across a guy, Hezekiah, who is a wise, godly man. And when the nation in exile would read these words that were given to them, the word of God, they would remember the time when godly king Hezekiah reigned. And the result of that is they could rejoice and celebrate and hope that that time would come for them again. And, and so what we have before us is a man who led the nation in revival. I mean, revival is an interesting thing. There was a story that came out of Georgia a number of years ago uh, that the church had planned revival once again. Uh, an interesting thing happened. The preacher was preaching. On that particular night, they had candelabras, and they had a baptismal, and they had curtains. Well, the candles were lit on the candelabras. They were placed a little too close to the curtains, and one of the curtains went up in smoke as a guy in flames when the guy was preaching. They, they couldn't find a fire extinguisher. They had to evacuate the building. Everybody got out. Fire company came in, and they put out the fire before it got too far. A, a, news, a television reporter came and interviewed, and they interviewed one lady and said, well, what happened in, in, your, in your service? He said, we've been planning revival for a number of years. In her thick Georgia accent. she said, we've been praying for revival. It finally came when we had a baptism by fire. Not exactly what we're talking about. What we're talking about in revival is a spontaneous work of God that results in confession of sin in celebration and worship. That's what revival is. It's a spontaneous response to what God is doing with the confession of sin, Jesus being exalted, Jehovah being exalted, and with people breaking out in confession and worship following it. And if you study the history of our nation, several revivals the First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, the Layman's Prayer Revival, it's exactly what happened in those situations. I, like you, am concerned about the direction of our nation. I, like you, i am praying for our nation. I, like you, am praying for the coming elections. We all have desires. We all have things that we lean towards. We all have thoughts that we do. We cannot endorse parties or candidates from here. But I, like you, am praying for that. But more importantly, you know what I'm praying for? That God would bring about spiritual revival in our nation. See, I get a lot of people playing for political revival, and if that happens, it happens. But if it doesn't happen, more importantly, is a spiritual revival of our nation, and that revival begins with you. Not with them, not with those people, not with the people across the aisle from you, not with those pagans that you're praying for. Revival begins with you. So Hezekiah brings about and is a leader of revival in the nation of Israel. Three things to note about Hezekiah. First of all, he lived wisely. Wise living was part of his life. He was clinging to the Father. In verse 3, he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. David is a standard bearer. David is the measuring stick. The spirituality of kings was measured against David, and and Hezekiah was one who measured well. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to his father David. In verse 5, he trusted the Lord God of Israel. He was a man who trusted God deeply. It says, after him there was none like him among all the kings nor among those who were before him. And thirdly, and I use a New American Standard, I love the wording here, he clung to the Lord. That word cling to the Lord is used three other times. The idea of clinging is used in three other ways in the Old Testament. It's used to a hand that clings to a sword. It's used to a tongue that cleaves to a mouth or clings to a mouth. And it's most impressively used or most famously used in Genesis 2.24 when it says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and what? cleave to his wife same word that's used here to cleave is to connect to to hold on to that's exactly what's happening hezekiah was a man who looked to god who sought after god who honored god and who was clinging to god each day of his life by the way it's easy for us to cling to other things and i think we need to look at our lives and decide what are we clinging to what are we hoping to hoping in one of the interesting things about hezekiah has to do with his lineage and i'm just gonna make a small point here and move on Hezekiah's father is a guy we studied last week. His name was Ahaz. We saw Ahaz last week. and If you weren't here, there were three things about Ahaz that made him one of the worst kings, spiritually speaking, in Israel's history. First of all, he offered child sacrifices. Secondly, he closed the doors of the temple in Jerusalem. He shut the temple down. And thirdly, he placed idols throughout all of Jerusalem and all of Israel. So Ahaz is the father of Hezekiah. And I want to give hope to those of you who come from families where you have a godless parent. Now, we don't know about his mama. We don't know if he had a godly mama, but he had a godless parent. And some of you come from backgrounds, backgrounds where you don't have a parent who has honored Christ, walked with Christ. You don't have that godly example. You don't have that godly heritage. I'm here to give you hope today that you don't have to be like daddy and you don't have to be like mama, but you can break that generational bondage that's taken place in your family and you can walk with Jesus. You can be a product of your past and not a prisoner of your past, and that's the example of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a godly man who had an ungodly father. And I say, praise God, because many in this body are first-generation believers, and you don't have to be in the bondage of ungodliness. Amen? Amen. And so we look at Hezekiah, and we see that he lived wisely. He was clinging to the Father. Secondly, he took wise actions. What do I mean by that? If you look at verse 4, Hezekiah removed the high places, he broke down the sacred pillars, and he cut down the Asherah. He did three things. He went to places where pagan worship was taking place, and he swept the nation clean of all the clutter of those places. He got the clutter out. He got the sin out. He got those places that were attracting folks away from God, and he got rid of those within the nation. The nation was filled with clutter. It's filled with clutter. How many of you would admittedly say, I'm a pack rat? Raise your hands, keep them high. Go ahead, tell me your pack, right? There you go. Okay. I mean, you say, I could be on that hoarding show. I could be be this person. This is what my house could look like. This is what my house, don't raise your hand, does look like. (laughs) We would pray for you at this point in time if you raised your hand. A lot of us, this is what our hearts look like. What your heart looks like. You're filled with clutter. What Hezekiah did is he found all the things that separated the people from God and led them to false worship, all these things that were distractions, all these things that were clutter, and he swept it out. And for some of us, our life is so filled with clutter, you say, Gary, I don't bow down before it's some piece of water, piece of metal. I don't have those kind of idols. But the reality is you get a bunch of clutter in your life that keeps you from walking with Jesus. And it's time for some spring cleaning. It's time for you to free up time to walk with Jesus. Time for you to get some of the sinful things that separates you from the Savior out of your life. That's what Hezekiah did in the nation of Israel. He went a step further. Look at what he did at the end of verse 4. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. Now, what is that about? I've preached on this a couple of times in the past. It's interesting, he says he, bro- he broke in pieces a bronze serpent made by Moses. First of all, you have to understand the, the, the chronology. Moses lived 800 years before Hezekiah. 800 years, that's eight centuries. We've been a nation for how long? Roughly 220-something years. 240-something years. 800 years later, this has taken place. It's an episode related, right in your margin, Numbers 21. Numbers. Genesis, Acts of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In Numbers 21, the nation of Israel is wandering through the wilderness, and they were a bunch of whiners. They were a bunch of complainers. How many of you are whiners and complainers? Don't raise your hand. How many of you are married to a whiner? I dare you to raise your hand. I mean, here's the reality. They're a bunch of winders and they're complaining about the food, and it says they're tired of the food, and so God was disgusted with them. He sent a bunch of fiery serpents into their presence, and they began to die. And the people repented, and God said, if you want the serpents to go away, or if you want to live after you're bit by the serpents, what it says in Numbers 21, then Moses, I want you to put a bronze serpent on the end of a pole, raise it up, and after you get by a serpent, if you look to the pole, you will survive, you will live. And so that's what happens in Numbers 21, and then that whole episode goes away. But what did go away was the snake. They took this bronze serpent, and they preserved it, and they polished it, and they buffed it, and they protected it, and they kept it. And 800 years later, Hezekiah is cleaning the nation of all its idols, and he says, Oh, by the way, we have one more. If you look at 2 Kings 18.4, it says they burned incense to it. That means they worshipped it as an idol. By the way, bring out Nehushtan, the bronze serpent from the time of Moses. We've been carting around for 800 years. By the way, they were not that creative. You know what the word Nehushtan means? You know what it translates literally? A piece of bronze. That's a name they gave this thing. He says, bring the piece of bronze out. And they had been bowing down to this in the past. And so they bring it out, they destroy it. you know what's an amazing thing? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Everybody knows John 3.16. I ask you to quote it. You could quote it without hesitation. You know what it says in the two verses before that and as Moses was lifted as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so the son of man must be lifted up so whoever looks to him and believes in him will have eternal life. He took that isolated episode in numbers chapter 21 and later in second kings 18 said by the way I am like the serpent on the stick if you look to me and if you believe when I am lifted up on the pole the cross you can have eternal life and you will live. Isn't that amazing? Numbers 21, 2 Kings 18, John chapter 3. So what does Hezekiah do? He brings about revival, first of all, by conforming his heart and by walking with God. Secondly, by cleaning the clutter out of the nation. Well, after he cleans the clutter, we jump ahead now to 2 Chronicles chapter 29, the passage you have bookmarked. And in Second Chronicles 29, what he does, he not only has, he lives wisely and takes wise action, but now he exercises wise leadership, and he does that by leading the nation in celebration of worship. Well, for worship to begin in Israel, it had to take place in the temple. And the problem is his daddy had closed the temple. His daddy had shut the temple. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 29.6, it says, Our fathers have been unfaithful, and they've done evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They've forsaken him. They've turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord. They've turned their backs on him. So what are we going to do? In 2 Chronicles 29.3, it says, In the first year of the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he repaired them. What Hezekiah does, he opens the temple for worship for all of Israel. He says, if we're going to do right, we're going to, we're going to make sure that we cling to Jehovah, just as I have. We're going to make sure that we, we, we not only do that, but we get rid of all these idols, including the Hushton. And not only that, we're going to do what we need to do, and that is to open the temple for worship. By the way, the motif of the temple throughout the kings and prophets is their entire— I mean, it's one of the focal points that you see throughout the kings and prophets— David wanted to build the temple. He was not allowed to. Solomon came along. He did build the temple. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, closed the temple. Hezekiah opens the temple. We'll find the Babylonians in a few years destroying the temple. And then we fast forward to a guy named Zerubbabel who rebuilds the temple. Then we fast forward to that to 70 A.D. when a general named Titus destroys the temple in Jerusalem. And now you can journey with us to Jerusalem today and you will see the stones that are the foundation stones of the temple. But the temple is gone and there are Many who think that the temple will one day be rebuilt, it's a motif throughout all the kings and prophets. But guess what? There's no temple today because you are the temple. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are. We don't call this room a sanctuary intentionally. You know why? Because you're the sanctuary. You're the sanctuary. You are the church. You are the church. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we don't have a temple in Jerusalem now because the temple is everywhere you go. Initially, it was a tabernacle that moved throughout Israel. Then it was a temple in one location in Israel. Now God's glory is wrought by God's people wherever they go because they are the, those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and you have that opportunity. Under the wise leadership of Hezekiah, he opens the doors of the temple. Well, the first thing he does is consecrate the leaders who are going to lead the nation at this time. In verse 10 of 29, chapter 29, it says, Now it is my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. My sons, don't neglect, do not be negligent now, the Lord is chosen you to stand before him to minister to burn incense and then in verse 15 they assembled their brothers and they consecrated themselves the prophets are the ones who brought this about in verse 25 through david nathan the prophet they had years ago told them that worship was to take place here and so they they cleanse they they consecrate the leaders then they cleanse the temple through sacrificial offerings and this is a big sacrifice if you look at chapter 29 in Second Chronicles, verse 32, it says the number of burnt offerings with the assembly brought 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs, all burnt offerings. Two weeks from now, a bunch of you men are going to go out and try and kill Bambi's daddy. You're gonna head out and you're gonna to go to your deer blind, your deer stand, and you're gonna hunt and kill bamboo. If you kill something with a whole lot of points on its head, or if you kill something that, you know, has X number, scores X number of points, you're gonna be real excited and you're gonna have fun cleaning that one deer and you're gonna be tired after cleaning one deer. Imagine this. 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs. In fact, there's so much to do. Look at verse 34. The priests were too few. They were not able to skin all the burnt offerings, so they called their brothers to come and help them. I mean, this is, there's blood everywhere. They're butchering everything, and it's all an offering to God to cleanse the temple, to open it up so worship can take place once again. It's a time of instantaneous or preparation for a revival. And then what happens is absolutely amazing. If you look at Second Chronicles 29, verse 36, it says, "Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people because the thing came about suddenly." You don't plan revival. Revival breaks out. Revival breaks out. And that's what happened. Revival broke out in the nation of Israel. And this next scene is amazing. I want you to imagine with me for a second. Things go really bad in our country. And we're invaded and somebody takes over. And all the doors of places to worship are closed. And years go by. Maybe five years, maybe ten years. TBC is in mothballs. Carpet is rotting. It's all dry rotting. Lights, projectors, none of that's been fired up. We don't know how much time lapses before the temple is opened after it was closed. We don't know. Scriptures don't tell us that. But imagine with me for five years, ten years, we weren't allowed to worship here. And then all of a sudden a new regime comes in. And now the doors are open. And the leaders come in and we clean things up. And then we say, let's gather together and honor God for the first time. Can you even begin to fathom what that would be like? Can you imagine? After five or ten years of not worshiping together as a body, and now we open the doors and we come in and we weep and we sing and we listen to God's word and we rejoice. That's exactly what the setting is. If you drop down to Second Chronicles, chapter 30, verse 25, all the assembly of Judah rejoiced with the priests and the Levites, and they came from all of Israel, the sojourners who came from the land of Israel and those living in Israel, and there was great joy in Jerusalem because there was nothing like this in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon and David, and the Levitical priests arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayers came to his holy dwelling place to heaven. All heaven broke loose on earth. That's what happened. What a time! Can you imagine not worshiping together for five years, ten years, fifteen years, and now all of a sudden we can convene and we can worship again? That's what's happening in Second Chronicles. A nation gathers together, and for the first time, and we don't know how long, they can openly worship and honor God, and all heaven breaks loose. I'd love to if, if there was a scene in all the scriptures got to be a part of. Number one. Would be the resurrection of Christ. Number two would be Second Chronicles, chapters twenty-nine through thirty-one. What a time! What a time of rejoicing and honoring God. Hezekiah's life—he had a supernatural victory. He goes against the Assyrians, a guy named Sennacherib, and God kills one hundred eighty thousand Assyrians. as a supernatural victory. He has supernatural healing. He is told by God he's going to die. He begs God to spare his life for fifteen years. His life is spared. For 15 years. Now. Does God still heal? Like he did Hezekiah? You bet he does. You bet he does. But I want to tell you this. Sometimes he heals this side of heaven. Sometimes he heals when we go to glory. Sometimes we get healed here. At the hands of physicians and nurses. We're healed. Sometimes we pray over folks, and we see miraculous things taking It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing what God can do. Our elders gathered. When you ask the elders to pray for you, we've often done this. But we gather together in my office following third hour for folks who have physical ailments. Scriptures in James chapter five says you anoint with oil and you pray, and we've done that many times, many times. Five six weeks ago, Charles David Casebolt was here on a weekend. He lived in Indianapolis, and he now lives in glory. Five, six weeks ago when he he was here, we brought him into our office, we anointed, we prayed, we asked God to spare his life, we expressed the desires of our heart. He was healed, not on earth, but he was healed yesterday in heaven. I see many faces here, we've done the same thing with your husbands, with your wives. Sometimes God heals here, ultimately he heals in heaven. By the way, every healing is temporary. You get people on TV that talk about this kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you, all healing is temporary. Lazarus will not come into this room anytime soon. He won't. He was resurrected from the dead. And I imagine when Lazarus got sick a second time, the prayer chain was activated. Pray for Lazarus. And Lazarus said, Let me go to glory. Let me go to glory. All healing is temporary, period. Can God heal? Yes, He can. He may do it here. He may do it in heaven. That's up to him, not us. Finally, whenever you are successful, what happens? It's a theme of the kings. We're never more vulnerable than when we are successful. Every week I say that, it seems like, and that's what happened to Hezekiah. He prospers. He prospers greatly. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 27, it says in 32, 27, Hezekiah had immense riches, immense honor. He had treasuries of silver, gold, stones, Isis, shields, all kinds of articles, storehouses for grain, wine, oil, pens for cattle and sheepfolds, and he made cities for himself. He is prospering. The problem when you prosper, though, is you become vulnerable. In verse 25 of that same chapter, it says Hezekiah had, had gave no return for the benefit and blessing he received. His heart became proud. Hezekiah. You wise, godly man who brought the nation of Israel to repentance, and now you are prideful. The good news about Hezekiah is found in verse 26. However, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart. One of the things we have seen throughout all of our study, the kings and the prophets, is this. The kings will stumble. David became an adulterer and a murderer. Hezekiah, a wise, godly king, becomes prideful. Kings may stumble, but the king sovereignly reigns. Kings may stumble, earthly kings, but the king sovereignly reigns. This election year, no matter how things go, if your candidate wins or doesn't win, I'm going to tell you this. The king stays on his throne. And that's what brings us hope. In my mind, as I was finishing this uh, study this week, I was thinking, what is a picture of revival? I mean, really, what you see is Hezekiah's clinging to God. Hezekiah has got the clutter out of the nation in his life. And then Hezekiah has led the nation in worship. And uh, Chase, our missions pastor, reminded me of a scene where you see revival. And you're going to watch this clip. I'm going to show it to you. And what I want you to do is watch at the end of the clip the reaction of the people in the audience. I want you to watch how revival takes place through broken hearts. The film out of, uh, well, it'll show it. You'll, you'll see a tribal people who received the word of God in their own language for the first time in their response. Watch this. Traffic advisory Mike Alpha
1: Delta from Santani to Corpo now crossing the ridge uh, just above Selah maintaining 1-2000. There'll be a big party when we land. They'll be dancing and singing and it'll be pretty amazing. Yeah. the My dollar, my gal, on the ground.
0: Pastor had said, it says in, in the Gospel of John that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and Jesus is that Word, and Jesus is coming, and we need to be there to meet Him. Just blew me out of the water. I thought, Lord, this is how we know that it's you doing something here.
1: Siap belum? Siap belum? Siap belum? Siap belum? Siap belum? Siap belum? Siap
0: belum? Siap belum? Siap belum? Siap belum? Siap belum? Siap belum? Siap
1: and in Ulama, Rwanda, Rwanda. And in Semnublumaria, Andi
0: Sumerla, Dham Gipsilam.
1: Naniyo! Naniyo! Uaaah, And the Ulama, and in the Ulama, and in and in the and the Ulama, and in the Yo, you're
0: broken hearts thankful lives I've got 50 Bibles in my office right now they're weeping over one and you know revival breaks out when you clean the clutter out it breaks out when you come before God and say I'm going to cling to you as I watch those men weeping because they got the word of God I realize there's a lot of clutter I need to get out I realize we need to celebrate and worship more often. And every day we need to cling to the Father. Amen? I'm late. You guys go.